I will follow you into the dark. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you here under the tent. It's beautiful out. We seem to add a fan every week, and that's good too, right? We love fans. Um, it is great here under the tent this morning. It's great to see you here. It's great to have you joining with us online. Thank you for your faithfulness um, to the Word of God during this season, whether you're with us in the tent or whether you're with us at home. It is so good to have you all join us in this very interesting time in our church, in our own families, and in our personal lives. So uh, thank you for being here under the word of God. You know, we're just uh, celebrating a few real neat moments for our church with um, being able to do a very different um, kind of kids thing this summer and then a youth thing. And it's just been neat to see us continue to do ministry, um, even though it creates a lot of challenges right now under the current mitigation. But being able to serve people and love people, I can tell you something I've learned about our staff that I already knew. They're willing to work triple hard to pull off the best experience for you in such a difficult time. And I just applaud them and celebrate the work that they've been doing during this time. But I celebrate you, church. You're one of the greatest churches in the entire world, and I'll go to my grave saying it. Um, your support, your patience, your grace, and I don't know, did God tell you to send encouragement letters to Pastor Chris this week? Uh, I mean, I, I just can't tell you how much they meant. Your timing is unbelievable, and uh, in a time period where you go through some, some kind of discouraging times, to be held up by your congregation is a pretty powerful thing, and so I've, I wanna thank you for that, church. That meant so much um, this week. Hey, uh, last week, uh, we were back battling uh, thunderstorms and even a tornado warning um, that, that came on after we had already committed to come outside and much more beautiful today. But we gave you eight prayers to be praying. And, and many of you wrote them down or you, or you checked out on our social media. Uh, be praying for unity during this time for our church for us to be a caring church that, that we don't forget to do the one another's. I get sometimes concerned if we're in our homes a lot that we're not living out all the one another commands the church is called to do. Love one another, care for one another, build one another up, encourage one another, stir each other on to love and good deeds. There's a lot of one another's. I wanna make sure we're others focused. Hey, let's have gratitude. We can't have all our conversations be complaining, okay? The Lord hears us talking, okay? Um, protection, would you ask the Lord to protect our church from the enemy's attack? I could tell you right now, this has been just as much a spiritual battle as this has been a physical battle over the past few months for your church. Perseverance. It's easy to grow weary in doing good. This tent thing is not the easiest thing. And what many of you don't know online is our technicians have been sprinting back and forth in between the church all day, uh, making sure the live feed is up because we're having tremendous challenges. So you can pray that you're with us the entire service. Um, scripture will be our focus and our refuge. Revival. We feel it stirring beneath the surface and we really believe that God has an incredible revival, not only for this church, but the church, but also prayer. Now we ask you church to join us in those eight prayers. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but did you pray that this week? This isn't a season where the pastor throws up a PowerPoint slide and says, hey, this be great for you to consider for your spiritual life. We are literally begging you to pray these prayers for us and pray them for the church and join with us. I encourage you to develop your own prayer list during this time and use this time of difference and change to not only refine you, but to refine us corporately. And so would you be praying for those? And then this month especially, could you be praying for us as we work on our fall plan? 
we were kind of hoping we'd be further along than this virus really is in our country. And um, so going into the fall, we're trying to come up with creative and awesome ways to continue to serve you in smaller groups and smaller things. We're praying that this is like the greatest small group movement ever um, uh, this fall because we want to continue to serve you in whatever way we can. So be praying for your church. We're willing to do the work. We're asking you to do the prayer. We appreciate the support. And thank you so much for those who are building us up in encouragement. Those are our prayer requests right now. What we've been trying to do in this season of True North is focus in on what's true when we're not quite sure what is true. And so each week I brought to you a debate that we've been having on staff, and I try to create these debates. They're often not as dramatic as I'm making them. Um, but this week's debate is, again, centered around a snack. I have it down here. I'm going to go get it. I, I actually have to get off the stage to get this one. I don't know why I make my life so hard. Can anybody tell by the shape of this what this battle is going to be? How many of you love Pringles? See, I'm a big Pringles guy. I told the first service, you probably got some coffee in you and Pringle don't sound good, but I bet this service, this is gonna look better as I get them out. What, what would you say is the top flavor of Pringles? I mean, do any of you have strong opinions on this subject? Few strong opinions? How many of you, how many of you are right here? You're going green. Isn't it amazing how we associate colors? I mean, green is sour cream, right? I mean, how many of you... I will go into that sour cream right now, all right? Um, um, how many of you, how many of you, this is your game right here? Any salt and vinegar people? Any? We got a few salt and vinegar people? Okay, I see you. I support salt and vinegar too. Salt and vinegar is great. Great chip, great chip. How, how many of you are a cheddar cheese type? Oh, oh, we got strong feedback from cheddar cheese. Good, good, okay. All right, cheddar cheese also won a lot of votes I'll put this out here. Pringles, you can send me the check to 1600 North 5th Street. No, that's not true. Uh, um, uh, um, how many of you are like, quit fooling around and just go with the original? Just, just stop messing around. Get me the red can. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. Back when church was church, right? <laughs> All this fancy lights and stuff. How many of you want to spice up life a little bit? You're going with the barbecue, huh? Some barbecue people? The younger people seem to like the barbecue. I, I, I mean, um, the first service, Joe Brake was really into salt and vinegar. I mean, we almost had something break out here, but we understand we're social distancing right now. But, uh, you know, some, some people, you know, they, they really want that chip or that chip. And we live in this season, it feels like. Where, where people have all these opinions and, and, and they're strong opinions and they back them up and, and they fight over them. I mean, it, it gets ugly sometimes. I mean, barbecue's the best chip. I have five scientists that will tell you to eat barbecue chips, you know? Some are like sour cream, that's a hoax. It's a complete hoax. There's no, that's not real, it's just green. They make you think it's different. It's not real, it's not even happening. Well, it says on the can, eat 10 chips. If you eat any more than 10 chips, that's wrong. So if I see anybody eat more than 10 chips, I'm gonna give it to them because that's not what you're supposed to be doing right now. Well, I say cheddar cheese. I say cheddar cheese and, and I believe that. And, and we battle over these things and we're, we're fighting over these things because we really can't find a true north. It's just what we can back up. And, and we have all this confirmation bias so if I can find somebody who agrees with me, that's it. So I'm just gonna tell you the winner of this is sour cream, okay? That we're just gonna solve it. Why? Because that's my favorite, and, and I, I want it to be that, okay? My opinion is my favorite opinion. Do you ever struggle with that? But sometimes my opinion's wrong. So what do I do in a season when there's all these different opinions 
And I can't really find, it feels, the truth. Well, we go to the truth. We go to our true north. We go to the Lord, not opinions, not even quote unquote facts. And as we move through this time period and this season, I want us as a church to be focusing on what's true and what can actually grow us versus what might be true and what might not be. Because I truly believe the Lord cares more about how we behave during this crisis than whether we even, even get through it at times because he wants to see us grow. God is in control. He would not have allowed this if he didn't have this for us. But I also know what the enemy means for harm, God can use for good. And so I pray that as we seek our true north, and I like debag myself, I got all sorts of stuff I gotta get rid of here, um, that we would find that truth will be our guide in this season. And so, before we jump into the Sermon on the Mount, before we look at these priorities, I want us to have a word of prayer. And I wanna ask you, don't waste this trial. Don't waste those frustrating nights. Don't waste those discouraging thoughts. Don't waste those times when panic might come in. Don't waste those times when you feel angry and just wanna swing at someone. Don't waste those times when there's a spirit inside you that says, do this, you're sick of it. Don't waste this because God can use this to refine you to what he calls you to be. Let's pray and we'll begin to tackle the second half of our eight priorities that we wanna have as a church, both corporately and individually during this season of life. Heavenly Father, thank you for providing us this tent that we can worship outside and feel above reproach in a season where um, it's difficult to gather. And so Lord, as we're here together, we, we honor you and we celebrate you and we're here to hear from you, from your truth, when it seems like truth is so hard to find these days. And so Lord, use this series to guide us, prioritize us, and grow us in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we've been leveraging the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew, and it says this, Jesus, seeing the crowds, he sees the crowds gathered. He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, that's what rabbis would do when they're about to speak, they would sit down. In our culture, we stand up. In that culture, they sat down. Attention, please, kind of. And, and, and his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, now, we've already been through four of the, uh, four of the excuse me, priorities that Jesus came out in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we've talked about the priority of humility. When you're going through a season like this, please understand, whenever you choose the path of humility, you're seeking first the kingdom of God. When you choose pride, scripture says God is opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. When you choose pride, this is what I want you to picture God doing. He's opposed to it. He is always gonna be on the side of humility. Remember that during this season. Let it be a priority. Let it be a true north. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who really wish that righteousness would win and, and struggle with that and pray for it and pray for revival. Blessed are those because trust God. In the end, child of God, you win. And so trusting God in this season is so important. I can tell you as a staff, we've seen God deliver time after time in what I would call the 11th hour. 
Like, God, we really need you to give us an answer, okay, and let us come together on a conclusion. And sometimes he'll wait till Thursday night before the Friday email goes out to give us that answer, but we pray for that. It's a time when we can grow in trust. Let that be your guide. If you have to trust him, that's a good thing. Meekness, the priority of self-control. I've already mentioned it. This is a time period where we get frustrated, we get tired, we get sick of it, and we wanna lash out, okay? Prioritize self-control. God says that's how you seek first the kingdom of God, that's a beatitude. And then hunger for righteousness, okay? The priority of obedience to scripture in a season like this. Well, I want you to notice in the first four, it ends with righteousness. In the second four, there's eight, it'll also end with righteousness. But this is where we're at today, the fifth one. The fifth priority I want you to have God wants you to have in this season. Blessed are the merciful. So, so here's the beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Have you ever received mercy? Are you a merciful person? If this is a priority to Jesus, should this be a priority to us in this season? Are you gonna get a chance to show someone mercy, even this week or even in the past week? Well, what is mercy? I, I think we should ask that question. What, what is mercy? Mercy is more than just being kind to someone or overlooking something. Mercy actually has a twofold aspect. Mercy forgives guilt. The person is wrong for what they've done. Mercy forgives, but mercy also shows compassion on the one that's suffering. It's not just that they, that they get, forgive them, but also that they show compassion. So here's gonna be our working definition of mercy. Mercy is being spared from something you deserve and offered something you don't. Now, I have been blessed slash cursed with a very sensitive conscience. Is anybody like me? My conscience can get seared like that. In fact, sometimes it annoys my wife greatly. Okay, like I can get worked up over something because my conscience is seared. And, and, and doing so, I, I can make my life miserable at times. It started as a little kid. I can remember a certain time walking home from school. This was back in the days when you walked to school and back, kids, okay? And I came home from Perkesy Elementary at the time, which is now Guth Elementary, okay? And I was walking home and I was told, Christopher, never walk in the street. Now, I was nine, 10 years old, okay? And I was walking home, and my buddies and I, we were shoving each other, because that's what you do when you're 10, and you love each other when you're guys, you shove each other, right? Girls, you send encouragement notes to each other, guys hit each other. That's how we show each other we love you, okay? And so we're shoving each other, you know, I love my friend, and he shoved me, and I went out in the street. I'm in the street. I'm walking in the street. You're like, Chris, grow up but it seared my conscience. I started walking home. I'm like, oh my word, I went in the street. I was told to not go in the street. I got home, walked in the house. I'm so bothered by it, I can't even have a good night. I can't go, I can't go play Nintendo. I, I can't go do anything, because I'm so bothered by it. Finally, I walked into the kitchen, and I just started crying. I said, Mom. Oh, I, I, walked, I walked in the street. I remember feeling my dad looking at me with this pathetic look, like, oh, we are raising the biggest wuss in the world. <laughs> and my mom was ultra compassionate, you know. I was guilty, and I needed to be punished. I walked in the street. 
So I explained to them the story. I'm, I, just, I was walking, he shoved me, and I was in the street, and I walked in the street, and I gotta tell you guys, I walked in the street. Oh, Sandy, do something with this child. I confessed my sin before the Lord and before my parents, and then I was fine. And my parents not only showed me mercy because I actually had done something wrong, but then my mom would always do what I w- would happen when I cried, she would make me some food. That's kind of what mercy does. It looks at a guilt, forgives it. It doesn't just forgive it. It actually offers it something. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Jesus says, those who show mercy to people, I spot that, I notice it, and it makes me want to show mercy to you. Now I'm interested. This just shot up my priority scale. You understand When I show mercy, it's not an if-then per se, as it's God saying, I love when my kids show mercy, and it makes me want to be all the more merciful. Wow. Being spared from something you deserve and offered something you don't. What parable could we cast alongside this truth to really grow today? To really walk out of here and go, I feel inspired to be merciful to someone. What parable could we leverage? Well, we're going to pull out one of my favorites. It's got to be in your top five too. The Good Samaritan, right? The Good Samaritan. I mean, who doesn't know this parable? It's such an incredible parable, but, but oftentimes this parable is taught with such a specific goal that we forget there's a question within the parable. See, many of you, when I say the Good Samaritan, you're thinking of the guy who stopped and helped somebody. But there was a deeper question going on in this parable. And the question was what? Does anybody remember? It's who is my neighbor? Now, I grew up back in the amazing 1900s, okay? Especially in the 80s and 90s. And I grew up watching Mr. Rogers, okay? Now, I've showed it to my kids recently and they said, that's creepy, dad, okay? But it wasn't to us. And I remember getting up on the TV and watching Mr. Rogers and seeing the trolley go by. And I was all into it, but he would always sing that song while he'd take off his shoes and he'd calm Christopher down and he'd say, won't you be my neighbor? And I said, oh, if I could only be Mr. Rogers' neighbor, how awesome would that be? The question within the parable of the Good Samaritan is, Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And it's interesting, often we want to define who our neighbor is. My neighbor's the guy who lives next to me and I want to burn his, stop, stop, stop. My neighbors write to me and they're the greatest people in the world. My neighbors are my parents. We had them move in next to us. Wasn't the best move, but it's working out. Whatever your neighbor is. But Jesus says, I wanna answer that question. And that's how the whole story or parable of the Good Samaritan starts. It starts with a lawyer. Does that raise anybody's attention? A lawyer, yeah. A lawyer comes up to Jesus while he's teaching, stands up in the crowd and asks him a question. Look at this. He says this. Behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test. I wanna tell you, you think that's a good move or a bad move in scripture, putting Jesus to the test? I call it a bad move. You are not coming out of this clean, all right? Whenever you approach the God man, you're not gonna come out on the winning side of this. But this lawyer, a little bit of a hot shot, wants to test Jesus and he says, hey teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? 
If you were in the time period of early Palestine, you would have stepped back and go, yo, he went with the question. I mean, that is the question that's out there. And the lawyer went right there. I mean, he is putting Jesus on the spot. A lawyer would have been a scholar of the law. He would know the Mosaic law. He would desire to discredit Jesus because he's kind of been living lawlessly a little bit. I mean, Jesus sometimes hangs out with these tax collectors, even prostitutes he talks to. He talks to this Mary Magdalene girl. I mean, is this guy crazy? So teacher, tell me, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I bet the place went quiet. And Jesus gives him an answer. It's recorded twice in scripture. Can we just jump into seminary for real quick? When you see things recorded multiple times, don't miss it. Don't sleep on it. In that time period, they didn't have Twitter, Facebook, where you could post quotes and become famous off your quotes, okay? They didn't have that. So how would rabbis produce some fame? They would do it by repeating themselves often. That's how they would get published, if you will. And so certain rabbis were famous for certain sayings. And whenever they would sit down to teach, they would throw those sayings out. Well, what's interesting is Mark records as well, the gospel of Mark records Jesus saying this as well. And it's almost like this repetitive nature is to remind you that this is one of these things that Jesus was known for answering very well. What should we do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knows his audience. He knows he's talking to a lawyer. He says this, well, What's written according to the law? No, one side, there he goes. What is written in the law? I mean, you're a lawyer, what does the law say? How do you read it? Jesus even says, go ahead and interpret it. Because that's what Pharisees and Sadducees were very good at. Taking a law, interpreting it the way they want to interpret it, and then demanding everybody live by it. I mean, that never happens today, right? And that's exactly what's going on. Jesus goes, let's challenge this. Jesus knew his audience lived under the law. He knew this lawyer walked by the law. So he answered him by going, well, how do you read it? And this guy drops the correct and most perfect answer you could ever give. He says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. The crowd was probably like, oh, that's the answer. Home run. What's he doing right here? Well, those who are nursed in Judaism would understand. He just read the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter six. Let me read it. Jews would pray this morning, noon, and night. They wouldn't pray more than morning, noon, or night, or they thought they'd wear out God. So they prayed these very legalistically morning, noon, and night. Hear, O Lord, the Lord your God of Israel is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Everything you got. And these words that I command today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk about them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." This, this scripture text is actually, as a father, inspired me to have our house filled with scripture verses. It at times can be embarrassing for our kids, but I got verses everywhere. I've gotten a little bit better. In our older house, when we lived up here in the parsonage, I actually got a super big font, put my life verse in the playroom. It was a little ridiculous looking back on it. It almost looks like something you put up on the side of a church. 
But, but my family tolerated it, okay? When we've gotten to our new house, I'm more strategic. Like you go down our basement, you can't walk down the steps of our basement without reading the fruit of the spirit. It's right there. And I just like to be surrounded by scripture. And it's always been inspired by, you shall put this in your house. And so I just wanted scripture to be around me all the time. And, and, and my wife has worked with me as well as Hobby Lobby. And, and we put together the, this plan and this is the way we wanted it. It's always been inspired by that. But I've never looked at his law, I've looked at his inspiration. Well, this lawyer says, this is what you should do. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Nothing, nothing cannot love God in you. You can't miss a step. You can't walk away. You got to give it all. If you look up the word all in its original language, the word means all, everything. You can't miss. Here's the problem. You can't do that. It's not possible. You're imperfect. We're all imperfect. We have imperfections and we can try all we want, but we know there's part of our heart sometimes that is sold out to something else. There's part of our strength that is given to something else besides God. We know it's not all of us. And this lawyer says, that's what you have to do. But then did you see what he snuck in that was not in the Shema? He snuck in this and your neighbor as yourself. That wasn't in a Shema. Where are you going with, Lord? Excuse me, lawyer. What's he doing? What's his plan here? It's like he's trying to change the conversation. He wants Jesus to talk about this neighbor. Jesus listens to this answer and he goes, you know what? That's the right answer. You're correct. Do this and you'll live. If you live that out perfect, love your Lord, all your heart, all your soul, your strength, you do that, you're gonna live. You're gonna have eternal life. You got the answer right. But the problem is you can't. And that lawyer, not liking that answer, sought to justify himself. See, I'm gonna tell you something about legalism or living according to a law instead of grace. Legalism likes to make up definitions for words that work well for them and then hold on to them self-righteously against other people. You know what else legalism loves to do? The comparison trap. Well, I'm doing this. I don't see them doing that. I see them over there. They're not doing that. Legalism loves comparisons, okay? Because there's an element of self-righteousness to it. Well, I do it. Everybody should. This lawyer's caught up in that, and he wants to justify himself. And he says to Jesus, okay, who's my neighbor? Oh, I bet that quieted the crowd. Jesus just got called out. Who's the neighbor? Let me give you some background. For a scholar of the law, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, his neighbor is a Jew. And that is only who he sees as neighbor. He has defined it that way. He has biblical basis for seeing people as Jews are his neighbors and nobody else's, especially tax collectors, especially prostitutes who Jesus, you sometimes talk to. We see you. And especially, especially Samaritans. Don't even go there. The racism against Samaritans was so elite, they didn't want to look at them and they would walk past them. And he says to Jesus, who's my neighbor? 
Let's hear it, Jesus, you great teacher. Say it in front of this Jewish audience who you view as your neighbor. And you better answer right, Jesus. It's Jewish people. And so Jesus goes, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. This brilliant human caught me. No, and that's why Jesus is my hero. Jesus does this. And let me tell you, if you ever speak to a man or a woman of wisdom and you ask them this question, you think you got them and they start telling a story, I wanna warn you, you're dead, okay? Let me tell you a story. Oh, I'm dead. I'm gonna get killed on this one. Jesus goes, hmm, good question. Who's your neighbor? All right. He says this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Stop. Geographical background to this. The path from Jerusalem to Jericho was 17 miles long. How many of you have walked 17 miles this week? It was a 3,000 foot descent. And it was down such a dangerous path that it was known as the way of blood. This is a picture of modern day look at the way of blood. This path. It was called the way of blood because if you walk this, especially by yourself, this would be like a young girl going jogging in a very difficult and scary place in town. It's just not wisdom to be by yourself. Jesus says there was someone walking on the descent to Jericho. You know, my dad taught me when we were out driving one time, we were going down Schwank Mill Road, and he said, you ever wonder why all these roads are so windy in Bucks County? No, but okay, go ahead, dad. He's like, well, the reason Schwank Mill's so windy and all these things, it's, it's not because of this. My dad has pictures of this Fifth Street being stone. So, so I have a picture of the church with stone. The, the Fifth Street was stone, okay? It was so, so weird, okay? But he says, I remember when all this was undeveloped. He goes, you gotta understand, the reason they're so wavy is not for your cars, it's actually annoying to drive. It was for horses. Horses wouldn't walk straight up the hill, so they would make these wavy paths, and what would happen is they'd stone them, and then they would eventually pave them. And so throughout Bucks County, you have all these wavy roads because of the horses and the carriages. Ah, huh, it makes sense. So we're headed down towards this minty trail road, okay, off Schwank Mill, okay? And he said, this spot particularly is interesting. And, and you gotta remember, when my dad's telling a story, you don't know what is true and what he's making up. You just gotta work the thing, but they're always awesome stories, so you're stuck. And, and I'm listening, and he goes, see, right as you wind through here, look, horses here, now look on the side. You see these high cliffs on either side? Now in Bucks County, this area, my dad is a historian of Bucks County, so I do trust him with these stories. He said, uh, what would happen is they would often attack. This was, they were famous. The pr these prairie carriages would go through and they would attack and rob them from the top. They'd jump down on either side. Well, that story had always stuck with me. And so one time I was driving through that same area with a, with a couple, couple football players from Peveridge that were in our youth group. I was the youth pastor at the time. And I said, hey guys, I wanna tell you a story my dad told me about this area, this Minty Trail Road here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, we should come back at night sometime like at midnight or something, something late at night and drive through here. Yeah, yeah, I'm up for it, let's do it. They love to scare themselves. So what I did is I called a couple other guys in the youth group and I said, here's what I need you to do. Around nine o'clock, I need you to go hide on those cliffs. What, yeah, we couldn't text back then, okay? So I said, at nine o'clock, I'm gonna come through. If you see a car stop, it's us. Jump down and attack it. Oh, yes, yes. I said, I'm gonna have the guys with me. We're gonna set this up, it's gonna be great. So they go position themselves. It comes to that night. Chris, we going out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, well, I'll tell you a few other stories. And I enhanced it, told them a bunch of fibs. And, and this story's so good that I'm even nervous driving down the road. And, and we get to this area and I slow down. I say, guys, really tough guys, you know what they would do? What? 
they'd stop the car. No, don't stop the car, the kid in the back. Knock it off, just keep driving. No, stop the car. So we stopped the car. Oh, guys, really? I'm like, come on, where are they? Car stopped in the middle, somebody might come. Did they attack the wrong car? Oh no, was some poor grandma going through there and they jumped, and I'm thinking about, I'm all worried about it. And I just got the car stopped. I go, well, real tough guys will roll the windows down. The guy in the front, linebacker from Penn Ridge going to Vision One, he's like, yeah, he rolls the window down. This is what we had to do back then, kids. Yeah, he rolls the window down and, and, and he gets it down. And then all of a sudden, like a zombie hand on the left side of the car, boom, hits it. These guys, screaming one I got this linebacker on top of me like ah, I'm scared I even know who it is like oh my gosh you know it's terrifying and they scream we're laughing they jump in the car oh they're swinging and they realize it's their buddies it would be terrifying to walk the way of blood so don't miss this don't miss the emotion you're walking down there like this by yourself and Jesus tells this story and they're like, whoa, somebody was on the path? And Jesus says, yeah, and this is what happened. He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho on the way of blood and he fell among robbers. They jumped and they attacked him. He stripped them. They stripped him of his clothes. He's laying there naked. They beat him and they departed, leaving him half dead. This guy's bleeding. He's naked. He's beaten up. He's destroyed. He's on the side of the road. Can you imagine the tension in the room? Where's Jesus going with this? And then Jesus goes, now, now, there was a priest and he was coming down that road. Okay, yeah, because priests would go from Jerusalem, Jericho, they would go back and forth to perform rituals at the temple. Yeah, 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 okay, we got you. And when he, and when he saw him, he saw him laying there. He, he, he's a priest, he's like a pastor. He's gonna do the right thing, right? He's gonna do the hard right thing. No, no, walked by him, walked by him. Now, now, let's be fair on the priest. He can't touch an unclean corpse. And this guy could be dead. And so if the priest went against the Mosaic law that this lawyer would know, he, he, he could really defile himself. So he walked by. So that lawyer might've been like, well, I kind of get it. He probably should walk by. But then Jesus says, then there was this Levite. Whoa, he dropped the Levite. That's, that's the tribe of Levi. I mean, these are the chosen ones. I mean, these are the special, these are God's servants in the tabernacle. I mean, the tribe of Levi, he says, yeah, a Levite. Jesus says, a Levite came by. And when he came to the place, so we get this idea, the Levite stopped. He's got this like moral dilemma. This guy's bleeding. He could be dead. Uh, I'm a Levite. I can't perform the ritual at the temple if I'm unclean or if somebody sees me stop by him, I'm unclean. I, I got, uh, uh, and he goes by. Jesus keeps pointing these illustrations out that they were valuing the law over people. And then Jesus says this, oh man, oh man, I don't know what the lawyer looked like when Jesus said this. And then he said, but a Samaritan, oh, a Samaritan Jesus. See, here's what Jesus does. Do you have a people group that you hate? got skin color you hate? You got a political party you hate? You know who Jesus would use for this illustration if he were talking to you? The one you hate. He knows. That's what he would use. 
So whether he had to throw in a political party word there, whether he had to throw a skin color word in there, or whatever he had to throw in, that's what Jesus would do. He would go right at what he knows you hate, and he knows that lawyer has racist anger, hatred, and vilification of Samaritans. And he said, you know what? There's this Samaritan. (laughs) And as he journeyed, he came to the spot, and he saw him. And he felt compassion. Don't, don't, don't get sloppy with your definition of compassion. Compassion's twofold. Compassion doesn't just see the need and go, oh, somebody should do something about that. Compassion goes the extra mile and goes and gets involved. Compassion doesn't go, you know what? It's great that somebody's helping them. Compassion goes, I need to help them. He saw compassion and you know the story. He went and he bound up his wounds. He says, I'm gonna touch him. I'm gonna help him. Samaritan, are you crazy? If this guy was conscious, he'd probably punch you and say, don't touch me, you filthy, disgusting Samaritan. And you're going in there and helping him? Do you know how much racial tension he had to fight through to go help him as a Samaritan? Do you know that this guy may have said things? He would probably call him racial slurs if he was conscious. And he's in there helping him? and he's helping his wounds, and he's pouring oil and wine on him. Jesus knows this lawyer hates this story, and he keeps telling it. And then, and then you know what he did, this Samaritan? He, he set him on his own animal. He said, hey man, he got him up, and he put him on his animal, his animal, and he brought him to an inn and said, let's take care of him gave him a place to stay. But then Jesus gets ridiculous and he says this, this same Samaritan, the next day he stayed. And the next day he took out two denarii, two days wage, and he gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Whoa, wait a minute. This Samaritan got him a horse, took him to the inn, gave up two days wage, stayed with him the night and said this, whatever money you need to get this guy right, here it is and I'll be back to check on him. Do you understand what this Jesus did to this lawyer? He said, you say neighbor and you think passive. You say, that's my neighbor, that's my neighbor and you define neighbor. I'm flipping on this you and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it active. A neighbor isn't somebody you point to, a neighbor is you. And you get active and you be a neighbor to everyone. I bet that whole crowd was absolutely silent at this story. And so Jesus said to him, the lawyer, who of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Bet the whole crowd went, he's gonna have to say Samaritan. He hates Samaritans. He thinks Samaritans are gross and disgusting and would never talk to them. And they all looked at him and the lawyer said, he couldn't say it, couldn't say the word Samaritan, but he could say the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you know that guy you hate? I want you to go and behave like him. Jesus knows who you don't like. Jesus knows what people group you don't like. 
And if he were talking to you, he'd take that people group, he would make that a good illustration, he'd say, now I want you to behave like that, just to expose any racism, any partiality, any anger over political views, and he'd say, who's the neighbor? Wow. I got eight things. I got eight things in my life that I want to apply because of this story. One, I've learned that mercy is active. Mercy comes to the rescue. That's what mercy does. It comes to the rescue. Mercy shows compassion. It doesn't just see a need. It wants to get involved. Mercy harbors no partiality. Mercy doesn't view someone based on externals. Mercy willingly sacrifices even its own stuff. Mercy doesn't just hear about the need, it gives to the need. Mercy doesn't just do what you should do. Mercy goes the extra mile. Mercy, you know what it does? It remains accessible. I'm gonna come back, I'm still available. And I looked at that list and I went, oh my word, do you see it? Like I couldn't believe it. I was writing it down on my notepad. I looked at it, I said, oh my word, that's the gospel. That's Jesus. Jesus came to our rescue when we didn't deserve it. Jesus shows us compassion despite the fact that we are his enemy before salvation. Jesus doesn't harbor any partiality. James tells us there's no partiality with God. Why is it in my children? Mercy, mercy. Jesus got involved. He came to earth for us. Mercy willingly sacrificed of himself. Mercy gave everything to the need we had. Mercy went beyond the extra mile and mercy says, come boldly to the throne. I'm available for you if you're a child of God. Do you know Jesus as your personal savior? You see, I don't think this story truly comes to life until you realize how merciful Jesus is, how merciful your God is. And I really don't think the good Samaritan comes real to your life till you realize something. God is a merciful God. These are my favorite parts of God's mercy. He's a merciful God. He loves us dearly. Mercy does this. Mercy's forgiving. God's mercy is forgiving. Micah 7, 18. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? Mercy's forgiving. Mercy is plentiful. Ephesians 2, 4. But because of his great love for us, God is rich in mercy. Some people are rich in money. God is rich in mercy. It's unconditional, Titus 1.3. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed, he washed us up, giving us new birth and a new life. First Peter 1.3, mercy is motivating. Praise be to the God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy has given us birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then mercy is accessible, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might find mercy in time of need. The good Samaritan story is beautiful because I realize I'm the guy on the side of the road. That's me. I was the guy beat up and left for dead. I was someone who didn't deserve mercy. And Jesus is saying, I'm the Samaritan. I'm the one that the, I'm the stone that the builders rejected. What, what good could come from Nazareth? Stupid Nazareth, some carpenter from Nazareth. What could good, I'm the one who stopped and I got you and I cleaned you up 
and I showed you mercy. And when you've been given that much mercy from God, you can't help but show mercy to other people. You can't help it. Merciful people understand, I'm the guy who's dying on the side of the road. And my Savior, who so many people reject, who so many people hate, who so many people mock, was the one who stopped by my side and said, I got you. That is why I want to be merciful. Here's our true north living principle. Mercy is not earned, it's offered. I don't want to look in the mirror from this parable and not come out changed. I don't want to read this parable and not be different. Our mirror principle is this. No one, when they look in a mirror and walks away and doesn't change themselves, they're, not, they're a hearer, but they're not a doer of the word. So our mirror principle says we want to be different. So what I did, I got out my journal. Here goes Chris with his journal. And I wrote down, Chris, God is calling you to be a merciful person during this time of crisis. So here's your eight things. Chris, don't walk by. Look, sometimes it's unsafe to stop. It really is. I was talking about a time I ran out of gas going to Wawa. This has happened a couple times in my life. I need to learn this lesson. But a brother in Christ stopped on the side and he picked me up and he was laughing. He goes, Chris, you out of gas? I said, I'm out of gas. I need to, I need to go get gas. He got me gas, filled my tank up, sent me on my way. Mercy, mercy doesn't just walk by. My, my son was involved in a car accident a couple weeks ago. I got three texts from our church family. Hey, we're here with Carter, he's okay. We're standing by him on the side of the road, he's fine. Three texts from people in our church telling me they're with my son before I can get there. Do you know what that does for a dad? Do you know what that does for a dad? To be a part of a church family that pulls like that? Mercy doesn't just walk by. Hey, there's times kids, young people drive, don't stop for them. There are some situations, but in our family, my youngest son reminds him, dad, there's a car accident, we gonna pray? We kind of made it our path, we see an accident, we just slow down, see how bad the damage is. We slow down and we say, Lord, be with that family. We can't imagine what it would be like to be them right now. Mercy looks on people with compassion. They don't look on people with anger for their political views or whatever, they look on people with compassion. They, they, they refuse partiality. Merciful people don't have time, so I put refuse partiality, Chris, I can't be part of your life. Chris, get dirty if need be. Last week, my whole neighborhood, we all got flooded. Any of you get flooded? I walked into my neighbor's house, maybe up to my thighs in water. It wasn't until we got to his dining room that, that we were starting, but there was water everywhere. And while I was helping my neighbor clean up, I kept praising God for my generator. It's a champion generator. I'm like, Lord, thank you for my generator. Thank you that I'm not like my neighbor. No, I wasn't praying that. <laughs> But I was thanking God for my generator. I went home. My son called. He said, Dad, I think the generator's run out of gas. I emptied that gas. I put it in. I said, thank you, Lord, for my generator. I put the new gas in. I think water had gotten into that gas tank. My generator would not start. If you're at my house, you would know this. I got about nine minutes till that sub pump don't run that I'm flooded. And I'm over that generator. Come on. Come on. I started calling on the Lord. Come on, Lord. I need this generator. Come on. Come on. At one point. Your pastor was laying over his generator. Holy Spirit, please, please start. Please, no. I walked in the house, sat down on the couch, asked my wife. I said, God wants our basement to flood. He did. And it did. And I'm down to studs now in our basement. So if you're like me, we're all in this together, right? 
But I bet God will work that out tremendously for us, as he always does. But it's difficult going through those seasons. But do you know what? It would have been 10 times worse if my neighbor didn't come, who's over here sitting somewhere, Mark. I call him, I said, Mark, I need a generator, I'm going down. Well, I think our neighbor has one because he has a house generator, a backup. And so he has his old one that you and I use. It's just sitting in the garage. We ran to his house. We get to his house, he's smiling, he's having a great day. House generator's running great. We got his generator. I watched two of my neighbors literally jog to the truck, get a generator in, drive it to my house, and race to get it on for me. I watched my neighbors jog for me. That inspires me. Sometimes mercy gets dirty with your neighbor if you need to. Lend any possession. I still have his generator. He said, keep it until you get yours fixed. Or you move. No, no, I'm, I'm just fixed. <laughs> Give generously. Give generously to the need. Go the extra mile. Don't just do some, do more. And then check back in. And that has been racing through my head. You this week may have a chance to be merciful to somebody. Won't you be my neighbor? I want merciful neighbors. And so I wanna be a merciful neighbor. You might have a Samaritan moment. God might even put somebody in your path that you typically would never talk to, never stop for, or never forgive. Maybe you got a neighbor that you can't stand. Maybe God wants to leverage this story and say, this could be a time of refining and making a priority of mercy. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. May we see our neighbors the way we're supposed to. Lord, we live in a world that likes to define who their neighbor is, and that neighbor is often people who only act, talk, look, and think like them. But you've called us to more, Jesus. You've called us beyond that. In fact, you would actually leverage the areas where we're not loving you with all our heart, we're harboring hate. And you say, we gotta deal with that. Because my priority in a season like this is mercy. And I note people who are merciful and I long to show them mercy. God, we extend mercy because we've been given so much mercy. And I pray if there's anyone out there today who hasn't accepted the mercy that God has offered in his son Jesus, even today they would call on the Lord and be saved and understand what it feels like to be given mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for today, for this gorgeous weather and this awesome church family. Amen.